0: Let's talk about Digital Identity, the podcast connecting identity and business. I am your host, Oscar Santolayo. Hello and thank you for joining today. Our episode in this new year, 2021, and we are going to discuss, especially now, the digital identity in the UK for this new year, 2021. I have a super special guest today, who is René Zeifert. He is a serial entrepreneur and co-head of TrueProfile.io, the industry leader in document verification. Powered by the Dataflow group, TrueProfile.io provides these services in a modern environment via the adoption of Ethereum blockchain. Prior to this, Rene was the co-founder and co-CEO of Venture8 AG, a crowdfunding platform allowing regular people to invest side by side with experienced business angels. In addition, he has been involved in founding several internet tech and media companies among the Holzbring E-Lab. René, half German and half Croatian, began his career hosting radio shows and running an advertising agency parallel to his studies. He was head of marketing and presenter at the radio station Bayern 3. During the new economy, he headed the entertainment department at Lycos Europe. Hello, René. Welcome.
1: Hi, Oscar, and Happy New Year. My pleasure for this podcast.
0: It's great talking with you. Thank you. Hope you are having a great start of the new year 2021. First, we would like to hear more about you, particularly how you have been doing in media and other very interesting things about technology, how your life ended in this world of data identity.
1: If I knew that myself, I think it's a quite unlikely scenario that panned out. And maybe you also heard that famous commencement speech from Steve Jobs in Harvard that you only can connect the dots in hindsight, you can't connect them living your life forward. And let me maybe try to connect these dots. And you mentioned a couple of already things, how they evolved in my life. Indeed, in my first life, as I tend to say, I was sitting on the other side of our conversation. I was a radio presenter. I was a journalist. I'd say my highlight, there was a war correspondent for German public radio in Macedonia and Albania during the Kosovo War in 1999. I did this kind of on the side of my university education for economics and management. And then post-graduation, I was more focusing on the media management side of things. And as you rightly said, I was head of marketing of Bayern 3, Bayern 3, one of the top 10 German radio stations after that. The new economy came, if you might recall that time, the boom and the bust, where I was uh, director entertainment at that time, famous and then infamous search engine with a variety of other services, Lycos Europe. And I really saw a lot of this bust of this new economy, which made me take a year off in 2002 and spend a year traveling the world in a sabbatical, doing all sorts of things I always wanted to do from doing a pilot license, motorbike license, motorboat license, learning languages like Russian and Spanish doing a bit of Muay Thai, and then I came back to Munich. And well, this was my first immigration, then going to Bangalore, India. And that's where, in fact, I started my entrepreneurial journey in businesses like e-commerce, selling jewelry on eBay, then moving into an outsourcing consultancy for what Bangalore has been very, and still is very famous for. And then starting, indeed, to angel invest into Indian companies with this angel network called Mumbai Angels. So, and in parallel with lots of back and forth, and you mentioned that also, so I helped build an incubator in Munich owned by a Holzbrink publisher called Holzbrink eLab, where we created some 13 companies in the span of four years. Then I really truly moved back to Munich for a short period of time where I co-founded a social media agency and that crowdfunding platform Ventureate AG, which we then sold a year later to a publicly listed company. Then came my second immigration, this time with my family to Bangkok. And then a kind of opportunity presented itself, I'd say very typical through network connections to join the Dataflow Group. At that time, it was headquartered in Hong Kong and meanwhile headquartered in Dubai buy and data flow is doing CSV, primary source verification since 2006. And I was given a quite broad mandate to look at how can this thing be more digitized? And let's face it, I'd say verification is not the most sexy topic on the face of this earth, but maybe it's also a reason why nobody has really looked at that. So I tried to do exactly that. So I kind of became a co-founder of True I O where we really put the individual and their empowerment into the center. So we launched the first version of something called the dataflowplus.org some four years ago, and that morphed subsequently into a true profile I.O., which I'm now running in a shared responsibility with my esteemed co-head Alejandro Coca from Spain, who is focusing on the, say, commercial business part, while I focus on the product and tech part. So, in hindsight, maybe it is possible to connect the those. I'd say my personal motivation here and the common thread has been Never stop being curious, never stop learning, and never stop willing to make a move into a new uncharted territory.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I can see, I can see many changes in geography and also in the business.
1: If I may just add, I think it's really interesting because I listened to some 80% of your podcasts and I learned a hell lot, a lot. And I think what you're doing, you're doing a great service of building this industry of digital identity from identity for people, identity for technical system like APIs then also what are policy implications or what is the identity of a legal entity. So I found these areas always very separate and you are kind of bringing them under one umbrella where they belong. And I hope that maybe today I can contribute another facet around verified credentials, which are useful in particular in an HR context into your realm of digital identity.
0: Uh, Yes, exactly, exactly. I'm sure we are going to have a very different facet from what you are doing there in True Profile in this last year, you are building this company and making it really global. So if we focus on starting this year and a bit more into UK, where I know your company is also operating and having a lot of business there, how secure digital identities for citizens could be introduced in the UK? What's your take on that?
1: Maybe if you allow me, let's do a quick game, Oscar and Rene, where we are today with identity in general, and let's see how that could play out if we are doing things right. So I know you're from Peru, right? Yes. So if you remember maybe your first ID card that you ever got, what did you have to present as a document to get that ID?
0: Well, in Peru, first, you go to the military first. It's not mandatory military service, but you have to go when you are, I think, 16 or 17. You get your first ID, it's a military ID. and then. When you become 18, you bring that and you go to the electoral body and you get the ID that is going to be for the rest of your life. You go in person, yes.
1: But for your kind of invocation to the military and your military ID, you are somewhere in a register. Probably they have your birth certificate. They know that you are there. So what I want to get it is that there is a central government authority that issues a birth certificate based on that birth certificate. They know you are there. Then they call you to school. They call you to the military. Then you get your first ID. If you want a passport, you typically present your ID. Same with your driving license. If you want a bank account, a credit card, you have to present your ID. But these are all tied to your identity that is issued or bestowed by the government, a central authority. So, How about thinking of an alternate universe where we have something like a self-sovereign identity? Imagine this alternate universe without government and maybe even without a central gatekeeper like Facebook, they are holding large parts of your identity. What would change? Your biological existence as Oscar wouldn't change. You're still there. So imagine in that alternate universe, you could create your own identity, a self-sovereign identity on the blockchain and enhance it with all sorts of objects and attributes as you move through your life. A couple of examples say credentials from your education, universities, license, driving license, pilot license, courses that you might have completed from something like Udemy. And again, maybe first reflex is to say credit card, but in an ideal decentralized scenario, it might be something rather like your crypto wallet where you can receive payments, make payments, maybe even small micropayments, and where you choose yourself if you would like to disclose during payment your identity, parts of it or none. At some point, this identity, self sovereign identity, could serve you to log in into all sorts of services without using any password. So a couple of properties that are important to understand here. This would be universally accessible. It would be secure. It would be easy to use. It's fully under your control and widely accepted. And the best part, it's decentralized. It's robust against censorship, and it's purely based on blockchain. So that's almost a utopia.
0: Today, it sounds like that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's not like that. That's exactly my point. So let's take a quick break from utopia. And you were asking me specifically, where does the UK government stand on this before we kind of get back to utopia and try to bring those worlds maybe somehow into connection? So there is this initiative that we are quite aware, which is gov.uk verify that costs some 200 million pounds. And the general consensus is that this identity system is ill-equipped to serve truly for a digital identity that would be able to do all these things that people want, in particular when it comes to doing online transactions. So in July, two years back, 2019, the government embarked on another initiative that was indeed truly about digital identity, where they made a call for evidence and received 148 submissions, many uh, that were focused on issues around privacy, trust and the role of government, obviously, in enabling a private sector market for digital identities And uh, based on that, they created a DIU, Digital Identity Unit, which brings together a variety of stakeholders, mainly from governmental bodies. And where do they stand right now? So the current status is that, and I find it quite interesting, they developed six principles, what this digital identity strategy should encompass. Those six are privacy, transparency, inclusivity, interoperability, proportionality and good governance. If we just kind of touch upon a couple of them in a bit more detail, then I guess privacy is certainly key. So when personal data is accessed, will people really have confidence that there are measures in place to ensure that this is really private. So, for instance, if somebody goes to a supermarket and needs to prove buying liquor how old they are, that should work, but it should be still under the control of the individual. Likewise, transparency should be very clear, for example, in the purchase of some liquor in a store, that only this data point is transmitted and not all the other parts of your digital identity, from name to your credentials, etc., what have you. Inclusivity, I find that interesting because even the government says... A bit in contrast to what I said before on the evolution of all your different pieces of what form your identity today, based on government, that people who want or need a digital identity should be able to obtain one and without the necessity of documenting that they have a passport or a driving license. So they really want to make this almost an entry point into an identity which I find good. Then we have another aspect, interoperability, which I think is self-explanatory, that this should be a standard that works across several applications and platforms and can be sent across. Number five and six, I'll make that really short, is a bit of proportionality and good governance. Well, I think the government tries to portray itself as the very good guy that will never engage in any sort of overreach. I guess that's something is nice to say, but I'd be always skeptical on that part. If you allow me now to kind of maybe get back to taking these principles on the UK digital identity and maybe just maybe to finish where this stands. It really stands now with these principles. And now the consideration is going forward towards some sort of feasibility analysis. And as we can all imagine, such huge governmental projects take years to complete. I guess we should be monitoring where this is going, but this is where it stands today. I think it's now interesting if we overlay this utopia from an entirely self-sovereign identity that sounds maybe like science fiction today and where this UK digital identity initiatives are geared. So my best guess is we can and will land somewhere in the middle. So the government is not going away for the foreseeable future, but we have, thanks to blockchain, a solid chance to reclaim some of our liberty. So what I think is there will be some sort of hybrid approach where we might use the launch of this governmental issue digital ID to make it part of our self-sovereign identity and move from there into the future.
0: Okay. I was not aware there is a new initiative by the UK government for the Digital National ID. What is your estimate? When do you think there will be something to try? So how ready?
1: Oh, <laughs> I'd say five to ten years. I don't, You can't blame the government for everything. If you are a government, you have to consider a lot of stakeholders, a lot of discussion, which is all fine. And then these things take longer than if you're just kind of putting out something like UPort, we can speak about that maybe later, which is a totally self-sovereign wallet and allow people to just pick it up. If it doesn't work, nobody is really responsible. Again, it's self-sovereign. So we are between those two polar opposites. So the government needs to take an extremely robust and secure approach to it. And my best guess is some five to 10 years.
0: Okay, so time will tell, but it's super interesting that now it's already being cooked with these six principles that you just explained. Excellent. So now moving to another interesting topic is about the qualifications. So something that is part of the company you are doing. What are the challenges that fake or fraudulent qualification present for a successful rollout of digital IDs?
1: I think it's a good question, and in fact, if you then roll a bit back, then there is really not so much specific to the digital ID part as it is already now, it might make matters maybe even worse. So generally speaking, fake qualifications have always been a problem and cost the industry worldwide billions of dollars on multiple levels. Look at the loss of productivity. You hire a candidate, you realize it's not the right one, you need to rehire, then you might get into lawsuits, you have to compensate for damages and reputational damage, particular in some high-risk context. So that's just bad. You don't want that. So here again, the key concept is trust. So and blockchain here is no other than the old saying around pretty much any system or application, which is garbage in, garbage out. The same applies to blockchain, garbage in, garbage out. So I guess the best answer we can come up with today is to work with one or even better multiple, say, intermediaries who can play a vital role in verifying the veracity of a statement. And I listened to one of your podcasts. You had a guest from DigiCert who are doing exactly that for the ownership of websites. And something like True Profile or Underlying Dataflow Group can do the same for professional credentials. And once you have kind of completed this stage, then you could put the results on the blockchain and have then all the benefits that the blockchain offers with a, let's say, reasonable level of trust.
0: Correct. Somehow the qualifications are not widely connected with the digital IDs. For instance, now you ask Peru (laughs) from my home country, you declare, for instance, you declare you have university studies, for instance, or not. Yes, not. You declare that and and that's it. So the government doesn't verify you. You declare that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And everybody can declare anything and LinkedIn is full of statements all over the place that are not true. So again, as good as it gets, and I guess that's the speciality that Dataflow true Profile have built up over the last 15 years, is that we do something called primary source verification. So Oscar, if you were to do it with us, you would give us your legal consent. That's something we absolutely need. And a copy of your document with a few other details, then we would really reach out to your university and ask them the simple question, is this diploma that we got from Oscar true? Has that been issued by you, by you as a university? Then it takes a few days, and then, yeah, we get an answer. In your case, of course, it would be everything perfect, and then we would be able to verify that. If you allow me maybe to comment on the other side question that you were asked initially, it was, why is that not all digitally connected? I think that's a world where we might be moving to, but Reality of a fact is, if you maybe recall your own university, I don't know how it looks, we deal with all sorts of, let's say, with universities that are super digitized to those that are not digitized at all. So it's no point trying to digitize those that are not digitized at all. We rather try to take the world as it is and try to make the best out of that. So we engage with a lot of universities that are totally analogous and we write emails, we call them up. At times we go there in person to ask that question, get a result. So it's really as good as it gets, moving then jointly, hopefully into an era that is more digitized altogether.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So now that you are talking about the qualification, so let's move to talk about TrueProfile.io. So tell me, what is this company, (laughs) TrueProfile.io?
1: Well, I guess a lot is in the name, if you look at true profile, then it's the true profile of you, of any individual. I've heard a couple of times a description that I didn't come up, but when I explain it to people, they say, ah, okay, you're sort of the better LinkedIn if you do away with all the social connectivity, but with kind of the profile that you have on LinkedIn. So if we look at the problem that we are trying to solve, then there is a certain lack of trust. Otherwise, you wouldn't need all these background checks. And as you said, in Peru, well, you can say whatever you like and there's nobody to verify it. So because there is this lack of trust, there's a whole industry of background checks with verifications. And even worse, as a sort of problem second order, when people change their jobs nowadays up to 10, 15 times in their lifetime, I'm exactly. Exaggerating now a bit, but allow me for the sake of the example, they might have to get verified every time again. And it's a lot of friction in the system, because you have three stakeholders who need to participate. It's for one, the individual who has to submit documents and details and legal consent. Then you have the employer who has to do and pay for something that probably has been done already before. And then you have, in our example, the university that has to respond and respond a certain third, fifth time to the same question. And so that's what True Profile is really about. We are trying to bridge this trust gap by empowering people, by facilitating fast and verified connections through a technology-driven platform. And we are bringing together the right professionals in an ecosystem of trust, how we like to call it. So I think it's important to understand that there are really two major sides if we take the university quickly out of the equation. It's on the one hand, the individuals, where we really want to empower them to achieve career success, It's really in the center, empower individuals by enabling them to share their professional authenticity through our platform. So just as an example, in the data point, half a year ago, approximately, we celebrated our 500,000 mark of registered members on TrueProfile.io. Then we have the other side of the employers where we say, okay, we want to help businesses around the world to save time and mitigate risk we're providing them a platform and then they can make trusted business decisions about the people they want to work with. So let me maybe also describe a bit the context where this becomes uh, relevant. And I don't want to sound like the guy who only has a hammer. So everything for him looks like a nail. So a DJ at a party it doesn't need to be verified. It will be a bad evening. People will not dance, yes. but that's it. <laughs> Likewise, <laughs> let's say a software developer, a bit more critical, but typically also not that critical. His team lead will quickly realize this person is no good and exchange them before major damage is done. But where really verification becomes relevant is what we've learned in the crosshair of two dimensions. One is risk. The second is global professional migration. And if you look at how we define a risk or risk industry, it's typically, I think, what you might also think top of your mind, it's health, healthcare, healthcare. New one is telemedicine, quite interesting, by the way. Things like engineering, say a person who's calculating the statics of a bridge, they should know their job better. Likewise, uh, aviation pilots. So that's sort of a risk industry, I guess that's understandable. The second might not be that intuitive, but it's really particularly relevant in a context of global professional migration. So what we also learned, say, I hail from Germany, yeah, well, there are also doctors there, but they don't really need to be verified because there is somehow a possibility to get an understanding is that person real or not. And moreover, you go to jail several years if you falsify to be a doctor. So there's a significantly high deterrent. But in a context, say, a Peruvian doctor applying to a hospital in Germany or in Dubai, we wouldn't know at all. Is he, she legit? And that's where verification really kicks in and becomes important.
0: Yeah, exactly. And today that we are in more digitalized world and yes, people are relocating more often than before for new reasons as well.
1: Yes. Absolutely. And in the context of that relocation, I think for us, it's also important, again, we also And especially want to empower the individual, but it's also balancing off somehow the prerogative of the receiving country to make a decision. Do we want that person in our country or not based on their credentials? And that's what we are kind of discussing all the time to find this exact right balance.
0: So your main customers, if I understand your main customers, are the companies who are hiring and also can be the government, let's say the migration bodies of the countries in in the case of relocation?
1: Yeah. So if I may answer that at the end, if I might guide you through a couple of, I think, important blocks, how our service works, then I think the answer becomes self explanatory almost at the end, whom we are serving. So again, everybody, and that's the best part, can buy today their verification on True Profile.io and own them forever and do with them whatever they like. So what we have established is a sort of standard for document verification, which we call a True Proof. So a True Proof is a single positively verified document, and that could be something along the lines of education, university diploma, professional, say, a reference letter, and something like medicine-specific, like a health license. Interestingly, we've also made a true proof around identity, your favorite topic, (laughs) where we are working with a third party provider from Germany. And again, in the context of the UK, it's interesting we are using or they are using the same standard that is by law required in the UK if you want to open a bank account online to fulfill all the KYC requirements. So again, it ties in into a bit what we discussed before. Your identity really based on your, say, passport from a classic centralized government authority, now becomes in the shape of this true proof persistent, trusted, and fully shareable under your control. And you can share your true proof either as a URL or a PDF. And speaking of a blockchain, you can also share it into your self sovereign wallet by Uport, where we have a cooperation and an integration. And we ourselves, Again, blockchain, add each fingerprint of a true proof onto the Ethereum blockchain into a smart contract that we have specifically developed now. I think always a key question, why are we doing this? Not because we love the blockchain to play around. I think, again, it's empowering the individual. God forbid, if one day true profile was to go out of existence, any third party could still verify against the blockchain the veracity of your true proof that you have bought with us and see that this is legit. So maybe just to go to the next level before we answer the customer part. So then you have all these true proofs of yours that we then bring together into your My True Profile that, again, you can share. I guess that's as close as it gets to the Better LinkedIn Profile. You can share that. we also transition to include certain elements of a CV, an online CV, where we have a clear separation between statements that are verified and those that are not verified. And we even see that people are using that as a sort of document repository that they then decide to very selectively verify. Maybe also, maybe to close the loop to LinkedIn, my last point here is that we are able to connect a specific statement on LinkedIn with a respective true proof through a URL. So somebody sees a statement on LinkedIn, they would click twice and then end up on the true proof and be able to compare, is that what has been stated on LinkedIn consistent what is written in the true proof? So I'm really trying to build this ecosystem out. Now, indeed, who are our customers? So we have a service which makes it really easy, verification on demand for employers of all sorts. And I think you had already the right suspicion. It is recruiters, it is healthcare, like Médecins Sans Frontières, Doctors Without Borders, is one of our major clients who are using this service when they just have a lot of candidates where they are not sure about a few of them or all of them and want them to undergo verification with us. And then the client would get the result of the verification. And… As I said in the problem statement, for us, it's really important that we do away with this over and over repetitive verification problem. So, although the employer gets to see the results, also the individual, the candidate, is able and allowed to keep their true proofs on their profile and carry that forward. So, it means that the next time they apply somewhere, you don't have to do that over and over again because it's a trusted standard that can be reused if you kind of zoom out and see this on a systemic level that we are doing away with that friction. As Dataflow has been for 15 years now, mainly doing verifications in the healthcare space, it was a very logical evolution for us to invite those candidates onto True Profile. And it's important to get the legal consent of them and to make them part of a recruitment database where healthcare recruiters can connect to them and solicit them for an employment and especially in the uk context we are all aware that there are like 40 to 50000 healthcare workers missing right now and we could contribute largely to help ameliorate that health crisis, let's call it what it is, that has even compounded now during COVID-19. And there we're working with leading recruiters that are using our database to get international talent and then hopefully bring them over to the United Kingdom.
0: Yeah, I can see many different type of organizations are your customer. Just one clarification, the end user, so I can go and create my profile in True Profile. Mm-hmm. So I would need to pay yep. for that, correct? Or not? as an individual correct.
1: It's like all sort of variations that we have incorporated. So you can go there today and buy your true proofs and use them for however and how long you want. We also have the other side that the business is paying for it, but you are then still able and allowed to keep it for free. So we can approach this from both sides.
0: Yeah, yeah, I understand. Okay, sounds definitely very good. The individuals who want to take the initiative to be ready and can pay otherwise, when the occasion comes, one recruiting company will pay for that and you get this benefit for the future. Yeah, definitely it's super interesting service and it's definitely filling many gaps, many needs that having appearing in the last years about verification. One last concept I would like to ask you is not completely related to this. Well, not that to the recruiting but still very topical today, is about the concepts of immunity passports or health passports. What would you say about that? What are the challenges in the ethical, political, technical challenges, if you can say some ideas about that?
1: I'd like to start that this should be part of a broader concept. It's not really one silver bullet that will solve it all. I think we've seen a really miserable failure of all pre-warning systems, and we have to put those in place first and where we might come to the point of willing to impose restrictions swiftly before we have to deal with what we are dealing right now and have been dealing for the last year. So without even going into the depth of the most important part, which is avoiding loss of human lives, I guess the economic damage in a full lockdown once the virus has become pandemic is by order of magnitude bigger than say initial instances of closure for travel routes, masks, and some precautionary social distancing without then having to close schools or offices, shops, and what have you, which is really the worst case scenario, which we also have experienced. So I think it's important to understand how do we acquire immunity. So one is that somebody has gone through COVID-19 successfully and got healthy again and has kind of acquired antibodies whose prevalence can be Confirmed. There are some things we have also learned about this that it's not entirely clear how long these antibodies truly can prevent a new infection as we also know there have been cases of lapses and unfortunately also reinfection of the same person so it's really more about the second scenario of immunity which is by vaccine and we've just had the first vaccine emergency approved from the FDA by Pfizer then followed by Moderna and as this will become more broadly available my guess best is that a health passport will really focus more on the vaccination part than that of a naturally acquired immunity. So how could that materialize? So I remember when I was a boy in Munich, and I still have it today, this yellow book for vaccinations from the WHO, I think in the UK, it's a red book. I don't know, Oscar, you have something like that as well?
0: There must be, I don't remember.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you don't remember. Okay.
0: I don't know which color it is.
1: You know, okay. So the point is now, with especially COVID 19, we've seen lots of instances of now vaccination not yet on the horizon, but at least antibody tests or even negative COVID 19 tests being issued for a few bucks, which is catastrophic. And we can all foresee that exactly the same is now about to happen about confirmation for vaccinations. So I'd say this book doesn't really do the job for a credible confirmation verification of a vaccination that has occurred so we need to become better than that we need to move that somehow into the digital realm and i guess the use cases are already showing up Qantas the australian airlines wants a vaccination proof for boarding their planes ayata the airlines association is now considering the same we can also think of other use cases like a stadium event or something like a trade show especially indoors where the organizers want to see that a person has received a vaccination before they are allowed in so What we are posed at is you should be able to expose your health status, but nothing else. I think that is in the center. It's not about sort of other properties of your digital identity. At the same time, we should be aware that we as a society are accepting then a double treatment. I'm just speaking out what's happening for people who have a vaccine, who might have been lucky to be ahead of the queue towards others who have not and who now enjoy preferential treatment. We have to have a debate how that works out and if we are willing to accept that. And in spite of always being a friend for technical solutions to problems that are very practical and all the bravado, I clearly also see the other side, that this pandemic has been an extremely unlikely rare occurrence, almost something like a black swan. And if you hold in general a pro freedom worldview, then there are challenges, namely that all these things like centralization, surveillance, deplatforming really get on steroids where a real health crisis, no doubt, is used as a pretext for governmental overreach, which we have close to never seen and which typically doesn't go back after the root cause has ceased to exist and it's like these emergency powers for a state that eventually never get rolled back. So I guess the key question we should ask ourselves is how do we balance this kind of need to return to some sort of new health normalcy with our liberties and our freedoms. And I think we should have an open debate where all voices should be heard without that those who don't just parrot mainstream media opinions are being silenced up front. And then I'm optimistic still that we will move to the best possible equilibrium.
0: Yeah, definitely. Thanks for sharing that. Yes, as for instance, when you were explaining that I was imagining going to a trade show with my e-mini passport, who might be probably an app or something digital, and the app should just reveal I got the vaccination, yes or no, that's it.
1: Exactly. And make sure that people know that this was really you. I think those are the two things at on the spot. And once that question is answered, that should be all fine. And ideally, it should also be deleted and just be used for the very point of entry.
0: Well, well hopefully we'll have these solutions in the short term. We definitely will need those. René, finally, I would like to ask you a final question. Imagine for all business leaders that are listening to us now, right now, what is the one actual idea that they should write on their agenda today?
1: You've been often asking the question around protecting the digital identity, and I would like to start and then move to another point. It's really critical that for a business leader themselves, but also for their teams and their organization, that they take digital identity more serious than ever. On a personal level, it really means, imagine you're, personal worst case scenario somewhere on holiday with your computer in a car, your mobile phone in the car, it gets stolen. Think of that, and I've done that, by the way, myself, and kind of how would I get back into my services from iCloud to, I don't know, Dropbox to all sorts of services. Try to work through that scenario, spend half a day, write it down, and then work backwards to how you set up your system. The same applies to company level, company continuity, which then extends to how do I prevent from getting hacked or even more easier nowadays, because mostly the human is the weakest link through some social engineering attacks and make your organization really robust, how to get security on every level onto the highest possible level. My second point is that I think we are now living in an era of transition and crypto Currencies based on blockchain has been the most fundamental invention since we've had the internet starting somewhere in the 90s. I would recommend to every business leader, get acquainted yourself with these concepts. They're not that difficult to understand with some fundamental interest in math, technology, economics, in particular microeconomics, to understand how does the blockchain work? Why does it work as it works? How could that help Bitcoin, Ethereum? Play out? What is Ethereum more than just a cryptocurrency, which is a whole ecosystem? And there are a whole host of other applications that are now coming up on the blockchain from some DNS services to funding services to social networks. Not all of them will work out. But why I'm saying this is important, I think it gives us an unprecedented chance to reclaim parts of our liberty and thus parts of our autonomy. And that's something I personally. Hold extremely dear.
0: Yeah, thanks, thanks a lot for this. Yeah, definitely. When you mentioned this, having your like a business continuity for, for as an individual, well, yes, <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> Still in that. Okay, and blockchain is the it is the thing that every business leader should write on their agenda for this new year. Excellent, thanks a lot, Renee. It was really very interesting to hear what True Profile is doing and how everything, the same concepts also apply for other of the challenges we have, including the health health issues. So please let us know how people can get in touch with you or follow you. What are the best ways for that?
1: I'm on Twitter. Just my first name, last name together, Rene Seifert on Twitter. You'll find me on LinkedIn. And if you have anything where I can help, feel free to DM me. Happy to reply and help out.
0: Okay, excellent. Again, Rene, was a pleasure talking with you and... All the best and happy new year.
1: Yeah, the pleasure was entirely on my side. Thank you very much, Oscar, and all the best for 2021. Let's hope we get over that health crisis and get to some sort of new normalcy again. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk About Digital Identity, produced by Ubisecure. Stay up to date with episode at ubisecure.com slash podcast or join us on Twitter at Ubisecure and use the hashtag LTADI. Until next time.